I'm her only daughter. And she thought she, Alka is my rebellion. I get to make her into the person that I wish I could have become. So with me, she said, honey, whatever you want to study, wherever you want to study, uh, the uh, person you want to marry, the person you want to spend your life with, the children you want to have, don't want to have, all of these should be your decisions. Nobody else should be able to make those for you. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Welcome to Sylvia and Me. Uh, My name is Alka Joshi, and I have just uh, completed the Jabwar Trilogy. Alka, thank you so much for coming. And speaking of trilogies, this is your third time on. I first met (laughs) you when, when the henna artist first came out. It has just been released um, back in 2020, 2021, Soar, the secret keeper of Jaipur. And here we are, the perfumist of Paris has just been released this past March. So I am so thrilled to have you uh, with me. And as we were talking before, I want to go into a little bit of the background so people know why you started this, that it took 10 years for you to do, to actually write the book. Right. Um, And, and so tell your story just because it is fascinating. It really is as to why you even started the henna artist. Right. Um, So when I was 52 years old, I decided to enroll in a creative uh, arts program, uh, an MFA, Masters of Fine Arts for Creative Writing. And I was uh, taking my mother back and forth to India. And during those times, we really learned a lot about each other. And what I learned about my mother was that she had lived such a restricted life. She had had so little freedom in her life, uh, way different than the way she had raised me. Uh, At 18, she was arranged in a marriage. Uh, At 22, she had three kids. Uh, She was never able to go back to school or finish a degree or have a career. And but you know, I'm her only daughter. And she thought she, Alka is my rebellion. I get to make her into the person that I wish I could have become. So with me, she said, honey, whatever you want to study, wherever you want to study, the uh, person you want to marry, the person you want to spend your life with, the children you want to have, don't want to have, all of these should be your decisions. Nobody else should be able to make those for you. And so that is an amazing life that I lived. And I just thought, mom, I wish I could give you my life. And I cannot. I cannot go back and do that. So I thought I could create that in a fictional character of Lakshmi, who is an amazing, uh, amazingly capable woman, leaves her marriage after two years in the henna artist and goes on to forge a life of complete independence. She does whatever she wants. She, she, uh, you know, chooses a career that's going to sustain her. Um, And, you know, she actually is my mother, uh, my mother's doppelganger. (laughs) I love it. And, and, you know, one of the things that you have spoken about is in your telling the story in your your research and the historical fiction yes you've put your mother into as you've called it an alternate alternative reality mm-hmm. um but you've gone back into the history and the culture of living in india and you have 
brought on so many people who are so interested and you've actually reawoken some of the culture and the knowledge base that people didn't know about, which is really fantastic. Well, I found that really rewarding also for me because I had not been until I went with my mother all of those times. I had not been to India in almost four decades. So for me, it was also a rebirth of uh, everything I uh, remembered from the time I was born to the time I was nine years old. And it was a um, reawakening of everything that India has to offer. Uh, and, you know, not having seen it for four decades, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I remember what it smells like. I remember what it tastes like. I remember, you know, uh, you know what I the sounds that I hear. It was an amazing experience to be there with her because I felt like. I had a reference, like I could say, mom, did we ever do this? Mom, did you ever make this particular dish that we are eating right now in a restaurant? Um, so it was wonderful to uh, claim my heritage as I was writing these novels. So for me, that's a great way of saying, hey, everybody, in case you don't know about India, why don't you see it from my eyes? And as you've, uh, you've, found out so many people are interested. It's opened a lot of people's eyes and the the smells, the the aromas from all of the things that you were cooking in the henna artists, you know, come right, they jump right off the page. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really want to get into, which kind of folds it all together, uh, is you were just named on the Forbes 50 over 50 list. Know your value, empowering women to, to express their own personal, um, you know, their worth, our worth. Yeah. Yeah. And you started writing, as you said, you were in your 50s when you started. And the book you completed and was published when you were 62, which was right. only a two, three years ago, I mean, you know, and, and the thing is that we're in such an age of anti-aging, pro-aging, this aging, that aging. And we've talked about this before because my mother is one who didn't stop as your mother. My mother was 20 when not a prearranged marriage, but she was 20 when she got married. She was 28 by the time she had five children and she didn't she didn't go to college until she was in her 40s when we were all out of the house, whether, you know, a full day of school or whatever. And within eight years, she got her her PhD from Columbia with with guys telling her she couldn't do it. So you and wow. I come from the fact <laughs> that it's never it's never, ever too late. No, you know, you were in your 60s when, you know, 62, as you said, and yeah. and it's great. And it gets even better when you get into your 70s. It's fantastic. And I think well, that is that is one yeah. of the stories that has come yeah. out of all of this. Well, Sylvia, you are a big role model for me because you are in your 70s and you look amazing. So uh, and, James, and also your I mean, energy, you have oh, energy, thanks. you're curious all of those kinds of things. I think one of the things I tell people is I could not have written these books in my 20s, 30s, 40s. I could, There's no way I didn't have enough experience. I didn't know how people related to one another in relationships uh, as strongly as I can in the books. So um, I, I think that age has 
its own benefits. And one of the benefits is that you can write much more, I think, robust material because of the experiences that you've already lived through. Exactly. And I had somebody say to me, well, isn't it a shame that you didn't do this when you were 30 or when you were 40? And I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would never have been able to oh, a podcast. Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, it, it just, this is when we're supposed to do it. And that's one of the things that we've talked about before is you take the opportunity you yeah. once said, when you think about something and you don't think you can do it, you step back, you sit down, you take a breath, then you get up and you do it. Because yeah. really, what do you have to lose? And some of the things that we're talking about. That's a really good point. What do you have to lose? Just take the chance. There's there's really no repercussion for you. Um, you know, the other thing, Sylvia, that I wanted to say about uh, writing at a later age is that I have over time developed my ideas about people, about women, about relationships. And I get to put all of those in my novels through my characters. I would have been scared to do that at 20 or 30. I would have been too concerned about what other people thought. And now I'm able to do that in my books. You would be surprised how many readers say to me, wow, you know, that took a lot of courage to put in there. And I said, no, not really, because now I feel like I have a voice and I can use it and I'm not scared. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me what what other people think about what I'm uh, what I'm saying. Uh, not, you know, not that I don't care if they hate it, but uh, what's important for me is that readers uh, will come up to me and they say, you know, I never thought about it like that. That's the most rewarding thing after they read a book and they learn something. Well, that's just it, because we did other things later on, and there's almost more of a freedom for so many of us. And that's the other thing that I want to talk about, because um, the Parfumus of Paris, the uh, Radha, yeah. the aspiring performer. Um, she's struggling with career and balance and so on and so forth. And that's back in 1974. And we yeah. have to remember, and, and people don't understand, you know, women in their thirties and their mid thirties don't realize that they were born in the eighties. It was only 10, 15 years prior to that, where women couldn't even get a credit card, couldn't yep. own anything, Yep. Um, you know, birth control, of course, which hopefully was will never be taken away from us, yeah, was just coming into play. Right. So one of the questions that you know we've talked about, and I know you've asked is, so that took place in nineteen seventy four and she was trying to balance career and family. Now, let's ask, has have things changed over the last fifty years? What has changed? Well, it's interesting you say that because whenever I do a Zoom with a book club and, you know, like now, Sylvia, I'm up to 959 book clubs, if you can believe it, on Zoom in the last three years. I love it. But um, every time I talk with a book club, I ask them, I say, you know, I hope that the Perfumist of Paris opens up this discussion of Radha dealing with this issue of gender equality in 1974. 
how far have we come in the last 50 years? Some women believe that we've come pretty far and maybe those are the younger people. Like they really feel like, um, you know, yeah, you know, things are different for me. I can have uh, a credit card in a bank and I can get my uh, husband to cook for me every couple of nights. Um, or, uh, you know, my husband helps out with the kids. You know, he feeds them when I'm too busy doing something else. Um, so in a way, some people feel that they have gained a lot more uh, gender equality, but there are other women who have who have said to me, "No, it, they really it has not changed a lot." And I think it all depends on you know who who the woman is and the situation that she found herself in. Um, but I think that there are other uh, people in those Zoom groups that don't say anything because I think that you know they don't want to openly say, "Well, actually, maybe it hasn't changed that much," you know. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to speak badly of their own uh, husbands. And I totally get that, too. <laughs> well, that was that was uh, I. Yes, we understand that. You know, it's a shame, though, sometimes that our voice, we're afraid to use it. And I think that's kind of what both of us do is we've learned how to use our voice. You use it in three fabulous uh, novels. Um, which I understand you've already uh, you have a contract with Harper Collins for two more in uh, have you finished yeah. it's in 2025 lady <laughs> but using and, and and that's it giving women the platform to use their voice because everyone has one but not everyone has found it and people don't understand that it could take years and years to find it um, if you're open mm -hmm. to it and not hiding behind it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, yes, you have to be open to it and you have to somehow convey it in a way that other people can hear it. You know, it, 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 if I were standing on a soapbox or the microphone and I said, you know, women deserve to um, you be able to be in control of anything in their lives. I don't think anybody should stop them. And, uh, you know, we need to put all those people in jail who are trying to stop us. Well, nobody's going to listen to me, right? But if I find this fictional venue, uh, this historical fiction, and I can talk about what happened back in the 50s in the henna artists, in the 60s in the secret keeper of Jeffrey, and then in the 70s in the perfumist of Paris, then people uh, can appreciate how, uh, much it is uh, how important it is for women to have that power and to be um, to be free to uh, make all the major decisions for themselves. I think that um, this this kind of fiction allows many more people to absorb it and to talk about it and to pass it along to someone else. Um, I, it was, you know, I actually think it's a much more powerful medium to write a book of fiction than it might be to, for me to write an opinion piece in the New York times. <laughs> Most definitely, because you can let your imagination go. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that, you know, you talked about an alternate reality for your mom, your mom was in an, in, uh, a, an arranged marriage and that was very common. Now you go back to the 50s in the States 
And what women were supposed to do, what society told us to do, no, it wasn't arranged marriages, but you were supposed to go to college, find a guy, maybe be a secretary while you're finding yourself a husband, get married, move out to the suburbs, have families, and get rid of all your other single friends and just that unit. (laughs) So yes, one is an arranged marriage where, you know, you gave your mother freedom, but she gave you freedom. She knew it and she gave you freedom. And it sounds like they had, you know, you had a nice family life because your mother told you what that freedom allowed you to do that. Whereas, you know, back in the fifties, we're going through a huge number of what people call gray marriages now, because People who society said they had to get married in the 50s and live and move out in the suburbs, these women were kind of, a lot of them were just, you know, suffocated as far as being able to spread their wings. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what you're saying reminds me of two things. One is there was a popular phrase called uh, the MRS degree. Oh, why are you going to college? I'm going to get myself an MRS degree. Um, And then the second thing that I was thinking of as you're talking is the Stepford Wives. You remember that in the 70s that came out? The original one was much better. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the whole idea that we were, as women, meant to be cookie cutter. Uh, We were all supposed to look alike. We dress alike. We uh, welcome our husbands home with a martini. And, uh, you know, we we have the pearls and, and, you know, we never look out of, uh, you know, we never look messy or out of place. Do you remember that? (laughs) Oh, yes. And and the thing is, women back then looked older because they were supposed to dress in such a, a uniform of the heels, the pearls, and the and the dresses with the cinched in waists and, yes. and maybe a little bit of an A-line. So when young girls were 16, they looked like they were in their 20s. I because never thought of, about that. You're right. So when we say, first of all, I'm sorry, but nobody knows what any age really looks like. We do know when somebody doesn't look happy, when, you know, if somebody, I'd say, got a bit you know, is not well. But other than that, everyone has their own personality. And if you can look in the mirror and, and wake up and go, this is me, I have another day and I'm going to do whatever I can. And not every day is a good day. You know, we go through bad things, but to be able to have that personality nowadays, we're living a lot longer and we do not know what a certain age looks like. I mean, years and years ago, I used to say, well, you know what? I'm just going to use it because one day I'm going to wake up all shriveled. Who knows? But (laughs) we have more, I don't know whether we take better care of ourselves, whatever it is, maybe we're just a little bit more comfortable within ourselves. Without having that structure of of the clothing, which was so structured, and the men wearing three-piece suits and hats, you know, uh, it's not the same. Right. Do you remember... Do you remember, Sylvia, in the 70s was also when uh, women first uh, stopped wearing bras. Oh, yeah. They were like, 
why do I have to wear this maiden form, this kind of corset? What is this all about? Once again, it was a way to restrict women, to keep them in this little place. And women went, hey, I can be free. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm- Sylvia, to this day, I do not wear a bra. <laughs> I wear them very, very rarely. Um, yeah. I mean, back in the day, women used to come into the sales, women used to come into the dressing rooms to help you. And uh, yeah, I used to wow. say that. Yeah, because they'd help, you know, you go to the, you know, you were buying a dress for, you know, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. a special occasion. Yeah. Um, my mother always would uh, tell me that I should put one on. Anyway, <laughs> but it's it's true, though. Uh, you and I both, I mean, I've never seen you not with, you know, with without a smile on your face. Um, and and it's it's so different. And we're living in such a different age, mm-hmm. such a different stage of life, being able to appreciate where we are. We still have huge hurdles to go. The lack of equity in, in the workplace, the lack of equity in just being able to say what you feel and yeah. not, you know, being called abrasive and, and so yeah. on. I mean, as women, we still have a long ways to go. Oh, yeah. But we can't, we can't let that shut us down. Yeah. So we've talked about your trilogy. I love it. What's it called when book number four comes out? Because are we going to start from the 70s and go into the 80s? I mean, well, such a wealth. This, well, this is so interesting. No, I have, uh, it, when I started book number two, The Secret Keeper, I really wanted to um, write about another book. But Malik, the the little helper mm-hmm. that Lakshmi had, he would not leave me alone. And he said, you got to write about me. You've got all that material about me that you didn't use in the first book. So I started, I put one project aside and I started writing The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. Well, when the trilogy was finished, I thought, what about that book I was writing before? I wanted to go back and talk about it. This is loosely based on a an amazing painter who was half Indian and half Hungarian. She was born to a very wealthy family. So she was tutored in painting in Florence and in Paris and various other places. And she was so wild and so creative and just out there. Like she slept with anything that moved. She was just, she was full of life. And, um, but she died at the age of 28 and it was very suspicious circumstances. I've never been able to find out exactly how she died. And the way most people refer to it is nobody really knows. So she was uh, taken to the hospital. Within three days, she was dead. And uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to tell her story and what she was about from the point of view of the nurse who was taking care of her in her last few days at the hospital? The year is 1937. The The reason that it's 1937 is because um, the painter herself died in 1941. So I wanted to be in that sort of same time frame between the two world wars. And our nurse is commissioned by the painter before the painter dies. She's commissioned with delivering three of her paintings to various people in Europe. And so this nurse, who has never traveled abroad before, is is, uh, on her journey to do this very same thing. And what was cool about this is I get a chance to do all the research and put in this information about what's happening in Europe at this time. 
Because as you know, there is the resistance movement, there is uh, Mussolini in Italy, there is Franco uh, in Spain, and then there's Hitler in Germany. And they are just, you know, they're closing in on all sides and people are feeling very anxious and nervous. Um, And uh, I just, I wanted her to be in that milieu. I wanted her to experience what that was like. How exciting. Um, and to put a woman in, in there again, yeah. uh, you know, a strong character, a yeah. strong female character. Oh, I should tell you this also, Sylvia. Um, the the real painter was half Jewish. And so my character in the book is also half Jewish. And um, although they're not Hungarian, they are uh, in Czechoslovakia. So when I went to Prague to do the research, I learned that the Czechs were very um, anti-German, very anti-German. There were some Germans who were Czech. They lived in a certain area. But um, the majority of the Czechs really felt that they would survive, um, you know, the whole uh, uh, sort of Reich, you know, they, they, they really felt like they would survive all of that because they had been sort of neutral all throughout. Well, they didn't. So in Prague, 78,000 people were sent to the camps and died, uh, died in the camps. Um, and I wanted, um, also to sort of talk about that a little bit in relationship to what the painter's family had experienced and why they had moved to India in the first place. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but India has a strong Jewish population because it's it's been a refuge country for so many Jews who couldn't find uh, safety in their own countries. So I love to like tie all of that in together. And her father, the painter's father, is actually building a synagogue in Bombay. And this actually happened. These things actually happened. There's so much out there to learn. There's so, I mean, how fun to be able to go out and, and one, get the idea to do it and then, then be able to move on that idea and and do what you're doing and, and really delve into a character yeah. and the history. Yeah. For the perfumist of Paris, I traveled to New York City and Paris and uh, cross in the southeastern part of France and also to Lisbon. And I spoke to all these master perfumers. I visited labs and factories and um, just fascinating stuff they were telling me, both about the perfume industry and also about what was happening in the 1970s in Paris um, with with uh, the perfumers. And one of the things I found out, and I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you, is that very few women became master perfumers, the top of the game, because they just weren't allowed. People didn't think they could do it. Exactly. But there were two women who made it. One of them was Sophia Grossman, and she was an amazing uh, master perfumer. Her designs are still iconic perfumes to this day. And uh, she, but she smoked like a chimney. So I learned this. And so of course I had to like figure out, well, how, how could anybody who smokes be able right. to design perfume? And it turned out nobody really knows, but they were saying, Hey, everybody smoked in the 1970s. So you could, you couldn't go to a place without that anyway. So she um, is a smoker. And uh, in the book, we also have, um, uh, Radha's boss is Delphine Silberman, and yep. she smokes like a chimney. <laughs> so I love getting these tiny little details of things I learn as I do my research straight into the book. That's really fun. <laughs> so does this new book have a title yet? 
They are calling it at HarperCollins, the painter, but um, I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe something else will, you know, generate uh, from all of this research and stuff that I've done. Um, so, of course, for the fourth book, I had to go to Prague and Florence and Paris. And I went to Barcelona because I thought at once, uh, one point I would actually have something happening in Barcelona and then London and then back home. Um, so uh, they are also, I was talking to academicians, I was talking to archivists, um, art historians uh, about the 1937, you know, the 1930s and leading up to the Second World War. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think that the, those tiny little tidbits that I found as I was doing my research are going to make their way into the painter as well. <laughs> See, and then that's that's it, those tiny little tidbits. And that is something that women don't understand. It's just, if you have just an inkling of something, go ahead, sit back, think about it for a second, and then go do it. Yeah. Research, right. You know, right. travel, you know, not everyone could travel, not, but there's, there's so many other things that you can flip something into doing yeah. when you, when you find a, a, an idea, which may turn into a passion and yes. there's no, no age limit in any of this. Yeah. There is nothing stopping you from doing anything at any age. And I've had so many readers come up to me and go, wow, if you did it with all your gray hair, maybe I can do it too. And they and they take up writing, they take up memoir writing, they take up, you know, some other hobby that they have always wanted to do. Um, let's see, what was I uh, thinking just now? Uh, there's nothing to stop you. I was listening to Mel Robbins. I don't know if you know who she is, but um, somebody sent me a link to one of her Instagrams and she was saying, Nobody is coming. Nobody's coming to tell you you could do this. Nobody's coming to tell you that, you know, you need to go exercise. Nobody's coming to tell you you need to find some some passion that you can, uh, you know, harness in, in this point of your life. You need to do all of that yourself. You need to just get out there and do it. <laughs> Alka, a couple of things. We didn't mention the fact that the henna artist, I believe, has been picked up by Netflix. Yes, yes. Okay. It yeah, it's um, in development, which is really fun. And Frida Pinto will play Lakshmi, which is almost uh fabulous. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe it that she wants to play Lakshmi. Yeah. And um where can people find out about you? Um, oh gosh, I think I'm everywhere. So I think you can find me on my website, alkajoshi.com. You can find me on Instagram at the alkajoshi because there's another alkajoshi who looks nothing like me. So <laughs> I am now the alkajoshi. Love it. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on uh, YouTube. By the way, on YouTube, what I like to do, Sylvia, is I like to make my recipes that I put in every book. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to see me making uh, rose petal jam. You get to see me making, one time I made curry biscuits. <laughs> Another time I made um, alu gobi sabji, uh, which is uh, potato and cauliflower uh, curry. So yeah, I just, I love all of this. Isn't it wonderful that when you find something that you're passionate about, it leads to so many other roads and you think, oh, I can do that too. Oh, this might be kind of fun. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
Alka, thank you so much for joining me again. And you definitely have to come back when the painter comes out because, wow, another fantastic female character. Thank you, Sylvia. And thank you for making this platform available so that women like you, women like me can see ourselves doing all kinds of things. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This has been a Life of Prey production.